Welcome to the Idle Book Club for November 2016. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sarah Argadale. This month, we're discussing I Love Dick by Chris Krause. And we're discussing it a month late because we had a very busy October and our whole schedule got pushed back a month. Sorry about that. But we are hopefully back on track. Uh, Next month, we're going to be reading The Sellout by Paul Beatty, which won the Man Booker Prize this year. Uh, The first one won by an American, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. Uh, but on to this month's selection, I Love Dick by Chris Krause, a very formerly unusual uh, epistolary novel featuring a series of letters written to a very real man by the author playing sort of a version of the real woman writing the letters, Chris Krause, uh, a uh, sort of independent filmmaker and writer and this is a book that, Sarah, you've said has enjoyed a, a resurgence in recent years. So why did you pick it? And what has led, do you think, to that renewed interest? Right. So I was first made aware of this book uh, a few years ago, kind of at the beginning of its renaissance um, as uh, a, a book that gets discussed by people. Uh, I think when it was originally published in the 90s, um, there was very little mainstream reaction to it but but since then it's sort of been rediscovered by particularly younger women which is how i i first heard of it so i i read this book um shortly after i graduated from college um and didn't really know what to make of it at the time i knew that it had it was highly regarded by uh, a lot of female authors who i admired and I was perhaps too young um, at the time to really appreciate or understand anything in the novel but since then it's been a couple of years uh, since I read it and it's something that continues to get discussed more and more I see it mentioned frequently now um, and it's gotten to the point where Jill Soloway the creator of Transparent is um, also making an Amazon Prime TV show based off of this novel. So it's sort of at its height of of popularity now, and it seemed like a good time to revisit this novel. So this is my second time reading it. Your first, I can say that I definitely enjoyed it much more on the second reread. Um, I don't know if that was mostly because I, I knew what to expect this time or if it's because I'm a little bit older, a little bit more mature than I was the first time I read this book. Um, but I'm really curious to know what you thought of it uh, since this is your first time being exposed to it. And um, had you heard of this book before? I had seen it in bookstores, I think, but I I really knew literally nothing about it to the point that I remember you described it to me as weird or or unusual i remember you you said when you were proposing it you said like oh this book is you know unusual or or weird in some way and i remember just having literally no clue what you meant by that um and was i right sort of but it made me it made me realize that whenever people describe something as unusual it's basically impossible for the other person to ever be prepared for the thing because you'll immediately jump to mm-hmm. some different kind what of your version un- of. right yeah sure. um you know it's funny I-, I did i did enjoy this book a lot i could also imagine enjoy appreciating it more on a reread 
even though this I've, I've only read it the once just now um that's you know a hypothetical in my case but i can i can totally imagine that but i did i did still enjoy it a lot um and one of the interesting things about reading it was that so you you had said when this book was released it didn't get a lot of mainstream attention and i totally believe that but what it does what i suspect it did get was probably a fair amount of attention in the circles that Chris Krauss herself was moving in during the events described in this book. Um, I suspect there were a lot of like New York critical, uh, you know, criticism, publica- cultural publications that were aware of this book and uh, commented on its, you know, um, relationship to real events and to yeah to its salaciousness mm-hmm. and also just to all of the um commentary on current or recent um you know contemporary art i suppose right. and so reading it really felt like i mean it was a window both into this woman's obviously like this woman's desires and and you know her her uh kind of in self-encouraged obsession with this man, but also into the whole scene that she is both part of and also feels excluded from or or kind of observes as simultaneously an insider and an outsider. Right. You know, like she she's constantly talking about not being um appreciated in the the world of art and culture well not just her specifically but but women women in in general for sure so to to pull back right i mean Mm -hmm. the the quick elevator pitch of this book is it is these love letters that chris krauss is writing to this man dick um and and that is how it uh, initially starts out uh, but as she's writing these letters, she starts referring to them more as a, a diary than actual love letters that she's writing this person. And it kind of becomes this cathartic way for her to unload the fr- frustrations that she has as a female artist and the um, seeming inability for anyone to take female artists seriously and give them the credit that she feels they deserve. So it kind of becomes this just like cathartic experience of venting her frustrations and all the ways that she sees herself and other other women in her position being mistreated um so the book takes on like this he becomes her muse almost yeah yeah exactly uh which is a total reversal of of mm-hmm. what the traditional the, right what, the, classical, the woman yeah. being the muse in this case yeah exactly um it's it's funny you mentioned like how specific uh, this book is to the kind of New York art scene of the 80s and, and 90s and you know major criticism that gets made about a lot of modern books is that they're all being written by the same Brooklyn MFA authors mm-hmm. but this book really goes hard into that particular scene um, because these are real people who are being referenced. So yeah, I'm sure if you were part of the New York uh, art scene in in the nineties and you read this, it it must be this, this insane gossipy experience. um, Whereas we're reading it 20 years later and 
don't know any of these people personally, so you can just appreciate it as well, that, a work that, of fiction. Right. That's true. And also, though, it's what made the book tough, tough for me, especially in the kind of towards the latter third, uh, when it really, I mean, by by volume, it really became significantly about Chris Krause um, using these letters essentially as a platform to just consider art that is meaningful to her and artists that she finds interesting or, you know, in some cases that she's ambivalent about that she has mixed feelings about, but, uh, and she, I mean, she explicitly states at some point, you know, that, that in writing these letters, it's the first time she ever felt free to express ideas purely for their own sake, you know, as opposed to couched in some other, um, rapper, you know, and that, so I feel kind of bad for then reading her just like unfiltered ideas and finding it difficult because, I, you know, her, her entire point is that she, this is, this is a space in which she's able um, to just do that unencumbered, but also as someone who has little to no grounding in the kind of art world being discussed, it was, it was just really tough for me at times. Um, and I don't really know if I can levy that as an actual criticism against the book because I I also just admire how much this book is only for I mean it really is for a particular moment and a particular person um, and I don't know how much it matters that that I can't f- sort of find purchase in, in some of the some of the arguments she's making I'm sure if you were to say that to Chris Krause she would Pro, uh, be completely accepting of that because in part this is a book about I- accepting failure and, and learning to not be concerned about what others opinions are of of you and, and I mean specifically Chris Krause right so she's dealing with this documentary um, film that is completely falling apart and it's not being that she directed um it's not being accepted to any of these festivals and this is going on simultaneously with her developing obsession with dick and and so um another cathartic moment is her just letting go of all the emotions and um inferiority that she feels regarding her own artistic failures so it, it i guess it, the point is that it doesn't matter if if you're reading her art criticism and, and you don't find any um significance in it for your your own self because um as far as chris Krause is concerned in at least in in this novel um her failure is is no longer significant or an embarrassment to her so who cares if somebody dis- disagrees or um can't relate to her art art criticism mm-hmm. do you think that that i don't know if i'd i don't know if i'd if i had gotten to the point of thinking that she had sort of trans fully transcended that those concerns do you think so i don't know if she had transcended them but i think the intention um later on in the novel and and you know probably in in real life as this is happening was for her to to try to get to a point where those things don't matter. Un- mm-hmm. Unclear if she was actually successful in the end, but um, yeah. this this novel and these letters just feel like a method to exercise m- many different 
demons that she was dealing with, specifically with her career and her position in that whole like literary artistic scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were times with with respect to some of the criticism that I kind of felt like I was being trolled. And I I think it's like a combination of a bunch of things that I'm not that were making me constantly question what is Chris Krauss the author and what is Chris Krauss the character and like how much overlap is there between them like in in part because also it's clearly a novel that's intended to have like humor to it and a lot like a lot of the humor to me was coming out of the sort of like did you find oops did you find this novel to be just like the most um high octane like gen x thing ever like there was a there was a moment uh there's a line that uh is on page 94 in the uh the paperback edition that we have and she says tonight i said to tad we're starting a shaker commune here no sex and we work without ceasing and i basically just imagine it coming out of the line of like a ghost world character you know this like super laconic irony like subversion through um like suppression of desire you know the like i get like daria kind of um that whole vibe and i was never entirely clear like how much of that is her you know kind of like exegesis as she literally refers to it in the book and how much is um like intentionally poking fun at her world and self you know um like there uh, on a more um mundane level there was a point at which she's talking about a painting and she says the colors of this painting mustard yellow chinese red and forest green were high fashion at the time and i'm like okay i'm trying to now picture mustard yellow chinese red and forest green right and but then in the next page she says her uh, her coat is chanel red her dress is mustard orange so now she's used mustard both to mean yellow and orange like sentences apart and it almost feels like she's intentionally trying to prevent me from actually like identifying what she's describing. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. But I can't tell, but maybe she's not. But I, I, but I don't see how that's related to this novel being super Gen X. Oh, the whole thing just feels like it is just suffused with a sense of like irony and mm. um like um hedging against complete sincerity except that then there are there's like also this novel just has utter like complete there are moments of just utter sincerity beyond a shadow of a doubt right so it's just well she spends an entire section of the the letters talking about how male novelists are allowed to be sincere whereas female writers are not given that um, al- allowance because God, how does she describe it? Where you know, if she makes the argument, I think a convincing one that male novelists write about universal emotions mm-hmm. um, or are, are perceived to write about uni- oh, sure. universal emotions, mm-hmm. whereas women um, are perceived to to write about more um, personal, specific emotions, which um, prevent them from expressing sincerity. Be- because the women writers are seen as being automatically more emotional and, and that therefore count count eh, 
cancels out their ability to be sincere. I guess the idea being that if you are emotional, you cannot also be honest about what your emotions actually are or Mm -hmm. the intention Mm -hmm. behind them. At least that's what Chris Krauss, the argument that she's making, um, one that I find totally convincing because, you know, often you do see women writers kind of pigeonholed into um, being described as writing novels that are about like women's issues or domestic issues, like very, they're, they're very narrow, even though many male authors are dealing with the exact same topics. It's just that they're being packaged in these different ways and afforded, um, you know, more clout than, than maybe we allow women authors to enjoy. So, I, I think she is trying to be sincere, but you're totally correct to identify this weird, like, late 90s insanity. This this book definitely came from that era, um, and that is, I think... Well, I think that generation and that, that sort of... Right. Um, position or yeah yeah. um and it's it's clear for all the reasons that you've pointed out and it's also clear just like on from the fact that that this was in any way a shocking novel at the time when it was published Mm -hmm. um it's very it it feels almost quaint to read something like this in in the age of of twitter and, and blogging and oversharing and and just everything that we have now where you know people could be alarmed that this woman is publishing a novel that's in part made up of these these letters that she wrote to this this real man that she had a crush on um when like i could open up any website and and see tons of personal essays written by women much younger than chris kraus was when she wrote this book that are revealing much more uh, personal information and that's just a daily occurrence on the internet now that's that's true although on the other hand i think it would still i think it would still be shocking shocking is maybe not the right word but certainly notable and not entirely mundane for this book to be published now simply because of the the depth and breadth and length of focus on one specific other person um, you know, I mean, especially if it's actually relating events that happened that were at least ostensibly private encounters. Um, but you're right. There's also it's 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 also hard to know how it would be received because it would mean something different now than it meant in 1996. Um, but I think the I think the sort of bald facedness of it would still be would still warrant note especially if the person in question was someone people were aware of i guess the difference is it it would probably cycle along faster than it would have in 1996 because someone else would end up doing the same thing with a different person a year later or whatever you know um but so can i ask you a mm-hmm. question about yeah, yeah. that do you find it to be more or less honest um, to write a novel the way that Chris Krause has, which she's very upfront about the fact that the fiction is taken from real life and she is is straightforward about who the characters are because she's using their real names, except in the case of Dick, she never reveals his, his last name. But otherwise, there are like 
by mm-hmm. like identifying information is provided about these people. Um, so there's that version uh, in I Love Dick. And then there is the other version that is common in fiction where authors are pulling um, facts and characters from their real lives and, and maybe slightly tweaking them. So it's not a, a one-to-one uh, characterization, but they're still using personal information to inform their fiction, they're just able to slightly mask it. But if you're the person who is the template for that character, I mean, like to you, it's it's still well, I, I'm now I'm getting into what my opinion is. Um so my my question is do you think one is better than the other? Do you think one is well, more I honest? Don't know. I mean we have some disagreements about this topic in mm-hmm. general and I think that a lot of fiction doesn't just slightly tweak a thing. I mean I think novelists frequently will create characters that I mean not frequently I mean almost entirely create characters that come from their own life but I don't think one can necessarily assume that they are typically sort of just carbon copied from life change a name change some details I think the way memory works is a lot more complicated than that and I would be shocked if even intentionally writing a story this directly about one person actually mapped as closely as it either does in her own memory or um or that anyone assumes it does i i just don't th- i think people recreate their memories in their mind no matter what so it's it's probably almost impossible to actually grab another person's life entirely and and put it in fiction especially when you're like i mean i one of the things i was thinking about reading this novel often was she has a lot of really detailed recollections of conversations between herself and dick and there's absolutely no way those there's just absolutely no way unless she had a tape recorder that those are which which they say that they did oh really well and and a few of the earlier phone conversations that she and her Uh estranged husband who is oh, at the sure. beginning mm-hmm. part of this whole game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they record right. That that's true. Right. I'm I'm thinking more in the the latter parts of the book in which she a lot of her, which actually was kind of weaker to me for this reason. A lot of what she does later in the book is is simply recount to Dick things that happened, and you have to think if these things actually happened exactly like this, it's kind of odd to just write a letter to someone in which you just describe things that already happened to you, right? Like that's, you wouldn't actually do that in reality, which makes me wonder like how exact can these memories possibly be? But even if we assume they are exact for the, for the purpose of this discussion, surely most novels are not like that. Um, And so I, so I don't know. I, as far as which do I think is more honest, part of me thinks it's more honest not to pretend you can so completely replicate your specific experience. Um, but I don't. I don't think that that's what Chris Kraus is attempting to do. I just think that she is. So she's writing this novel that is coming from a, a real life experience, and she's not doing anything to hide the fact mm-hmm. that this is from her real life. Nor um, is she claiming that this is a exact representation okay, of, sure. of dick enough. or herself right whereas um many authors uh, is there another is there a, a, a representative example you can point to in 
in fiction that of the of the yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. um so a, a few years ago um the marriage plot by mm, jeffrey uh-huh. eugenides yeah, yeah, yeah. um was published and uh that that author was no, a known friend of people like Fran- Jonathan Franzen and David Foster Wallace, that uh, they mm-hmm. all kind of came up together. And many critics and reviewers saw the marriage plot as a, a thinly veiled uh, ca- characters who were clearly modeled off of some of the people in that literary scene, specifically David Foster Wallace, um, and that that got mentioned in in basically every review of that book that I read, right? Where it's very clear to to some people that Eugenides was taking his experience and his frustrations and his uh, relationship with David Foster Wallace and putting them into this character. But like, you know, of course the character is not identified as David Foster Wallace um, in in any way. They they, they have enough differences that you couldn't exactly say that that's who he's supposed to be but that's what many people interpret it as and and so i'm wondering like is is one necessarily better than the other is it is it better to be completely upfront and say yes this character is based off of this real person in my life who i had this real experience with or like go the eugenides route and just have a character who m- most people kind of know w- what the situation is but you're yeah. you don't have to be so i well so again this is something that i think is it's tough for me to answer this in the way you want me to because i think we just we perceive these things in different ways and because, we've, we've talked about the marriage plot before right where you don't see i don't i don't see it as being that direct personally and like mm-hmm. i just don't i that's just not how i like to re- to read um and so to me there's we're just talking about two essentially totally different things. And so I can't really say, I can't really say one's better or worse because they're, to me, they're enti- they're just entirely different practices, right? One is essentially memoir and one is fiction. And I think it's still entirely, I mean, I think this book is perfectly like acceptable to call it fiction as well. Um, but I guess we're describing two starting points, right? Even you can maybe end up in the same place to the reader but I, but there's the starting point is clearly fundamentally different, um, and I don't think Jeffrey Eugenides could not have written the marriage plot if he was little, literally including David Foster Wallace as a character, because then he would be bound to actual specific experiences he had with that person. He couldn't insert them into new fictional situations with other characters. But you just said that it's pretty obvious in I Love Dick that she must have invented some of these details. Yes, and I, I'm sure she did. And I don't know where exactly that line is, but I think the line is, I think the marriage plot is clearly way far enough on one side of the line that it's, that it is an invented character in situations that probably in some cases bear very little similarity to specific encounters Eugenides had with, with Wallace, right? Like these are, these are college students who are just put in a made up, situation even if some of them may bear temperamental similarities to to people he knows i mean i think as an author there's no way to avoid that mm-hmm. right like your experience of people is based on the people you've met so of course that will make it into your work um right exactly and and so then the question is uh is it again like more honest to to admit when those influences happen or 
Well, do you, do you mean admit in the text or do you mean admit if someone asks you a question? I guess if, yeah, if you're asked directly about it. I su- I think that's probably more up to the author than anyone else. I mean, I've certainly seen interviews with authors in which authors acknowledge, yes, this, this person drew from experiences I've had with such and such other person. Um, but I, but I, I don't like the mode of criticism of sort of confronting the author and sort of critics just all agreeing amongst themselves that like, ah, yes, I, who probably don't even know David Foster Wallace as well as Eugenides does, am declaring that this is, this is what that character is. And I know, and like, I know it that I find to be very distasteful. And I think more, I think less charitable to like the memory, for instance, of David Foster Wallace than a friend of that person, like possibly using inspiration from his friendship with that person, like in a totally different fictional context. So, and I'm actually really conflicted about the, about the usage of, of, uh, of Dick Hebdige, as we now know in this novel, um, not to the point that I, that I would not recommend people read the novel. I think it's a really fascinating and, and worthwhile novel for sure, but it is weird. I mean, it, it does feel weird to know that that is a real person uh, being de- being described that literally. I the thing that that makes it feel less strange to me is when Krauss I think correctly points out that many male authors have created characters from the women in their lives who again are not directly named after those women but if you know anything about the men and their partners, you know that these are that that's who these mm-hmm. w- female characters are are based off of. And you know, Krauss makes the excellent point that these male authors use women in their lives to create these characters, and and the real life women don't have any say in how they are fictionally portrayed. So in Krauss using this fictional version of dick is another way to kind of reclaim female independence in writing um again it's a, a an inversion of the usual structure what it where is the man who is dictating mm-hmm. the fictional representation and and you know like you i think correctly have pointed out this is not likely the real dick right this is i don't think it's correct to call this memoir necessarily because it is so obviously fictionalized in a lot Mm -hmm. of places and and the the fact that it has these elements it makes me feel it'd be one thing if um you know i can imagine a version of this novel written today uh that publishes not only uh the messages to dick but also received messages from him so you know you if you did something like this now it would probably be all be through texting in in which case you would then publish a novel that had it just as your texting conversation which would include the the male's responses and and right i could see that being um a little bit more questionable because right you're revealing these um his actual intimate words mm-hmm. without his permission versus like your fictionalized memory. Although of- then as in this case, we would have no way to verify the actual accuracy of anything that was printed without tracking, without 
corroboration from the person in question. Oh, sure. Right. You mean you don't, you would have no we, way of knowing no if way the texts were... Right? Just as we'd have no idea if her actual letters are the ones she wrote. Sure, but th- that feels in, in some way like more of a, a violation, I guess because the, in the situation where it was the actual text messages, it's like, oh, this is really what... So I guess the difference is that by including supposed text messages, you're saying the author would be claiming these are in fact mm-hmm. his words, where even though she does directly quote him frequently in this book, you think because she's not presenting it as a trans, technically as a transcript. Right. I see. So here, here's a question I actually don't know the answer to. I don't know what I meant to feel about this. So I'm curious if you do. Is it, is the idea that, is it good that she did this and also good that men do similar things like this? It's just not good if only one does it, or is it bad for both of them to do it? Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> I think I follow, right? Is um, I mean, I don't know that there's an answer to that question. I don't even know that Chris Krause could Surely women have also that. done this in the past. It's not as though it's purely the province of women. Right, and so, I mean, basically you're, you're, you're asking, is it... Is it the practice that's bad, or is it just the the traditional imbalance? Right, the in, practice of fictionalizing of fictionalizing real people this directly. I yeah. think it's the imbalance, right? I don't know. Like, that, I mean, I, I it does kind of make me uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know if I can tell you why exactly. Maybe, maybe it's silly that it makes me uncomfortable. The the novel makes you uncomfortable. The, the specific these the. the um, uh, fidelity, I guess, of or at least like asserted fidelity of description of experience you know mm-hmm. and and i also i mean it's funny that i mean yeah i don't know and i i don't know how i feel about it because it's true certainly that in more traditional novels probably this kind of thing happens with less signaling um and i wonder if part of that is like just always how i mean part of that is surely the price of art existing right to some degree like for 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 convincing art about humans to exist people's lives are going to have to be drawn from to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, where does the fiction come from? Like, where do you get the fiction without taking it from your experience? So I guess it's I guess it's just a very personal question of where the line is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's true that some people on the other end of it are just never going to get to choose where the where the line is with respect to themselves. You mean the, the people who fuel the, people the characters, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I... There's a a story that I've read a few times about Jane Austen where um, it it got to a point where her family and friends didn't want to be in the same room with her because anything that they told her would end up as material in her novel. So I think this is something that just happens if you're, if you are intimately in a relationship with a, a writer or any kind of artist really anyone who makes a creative work so i think it's an inescapable reality of art like you were saying and so when you when i come at it from that direction i kind of don't really see what the difference is between what kraus is doing and what everybody else well does. I, I think the difference is that most people are not known to the world and even if you even if some shred of yourself ends up in a novel mm-hmm. it's very unlikely that people outside of your immediate circle are ever sure. going to know but but then i think well you the individual will always know and and to me um it kind of doesn't matter if if the world knows or if just one person knows either 
in either reality, it's still a, a violation um, of that particular person. So even at the when it's only the individual who's aware of it, it's like, at, at that point, the damage is done. And, and just because a few hundred more people are aware doesn't make it somehow much worse, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I could I can see that being true, but I could also see it not being true. I could also see it depending on the person in question. And maybe the maybe the discomfort comes from the sort of the knowledge that many people can see through this as opposed to. You know, and then also, there I think there are probably a lot of people who end up um, with, you know, allusions to themselves in fiction who probably take it as a sort of a just compliment. funny thing that happened or a compliment or, or or nothing or, you know, what have you. And it's tough to say. And that's partially why I that's partially why I do think there is something to the sort of plausible deniability argument. Like, I, I do think that y- there is a gradient between representing someone literally and representing someone just because they're part of your brain now. You know, I I, I don't think it is a, a purely binary concern. I, you know, I, I as soon as some part of anyone makes it into a novel, I don't think that's instantly, well, now you've aired all their dirty laundry and they're going to hate you forever. I mean, I, I think good novelists are more subtle than that, and that's why we read good art, is because it isn't, it isn't literally just airing dirty laundry. Um, I, I mean, I'm, this book is also not just airing, airing dirty laundry, but I'm just saying that I don't think that it's not like, you know, one drop kind of like makes the whole thing automatically suspect in the same way. I think if this book was more about the relationship with Dick, which it very quickly moves away from, and, mm-hmm. you know, this book is really about Chris Krause and, and, yeah. and not so much her her crush on dick um it, but if it, it if it was more focused on that like if it was the the version of the um personal essay that you can read everywhere online now i think i would have um more hesitation about this but because um the novel ends up being like dick becomes so secondary to mm-hmm. what what chris kraus is actually trying yeah. to explore in the fiction so because of that, I am less bothered by the fact that this is a, a real guy um, whose letters she turned into a novel. Um, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's good. You're, I think you're right to reframe the discussion as a reminder that a, much of the character is, of Dick in this book is her projection mm-hmm. um and I, I think that's w- worth remembering i think there is just He's an the unusual young adult cipher sure but there is there's just that weird unusual nagging thing of just knowing that this is literally a guy who was upset about this book being published um th- but but yes you're you're obviously completely right that that's not really what where the meat of the book actually comes from the, mm-hmm. the, the meat of the book does not come from personal details about this man that is not what that is. That is not the bulk of what this is, um, and that's 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 an important discussion. But it is an interesting topic to consider, I think, for sure. And this book definitely provides one very, I think, extreme outlier in discussing this topic. You know, um, yeah. So I think we both liked it. Yeah. Did Did you have any 
any parts of it that um, particularly stood out for you? I think my favorite, I think my my most enjoyable reading experience was when Chris Krause and, and Silver Lottringer were still kind of in on it together mm-hmm. because there was this, I mean, it sounds silly to say, but there was this very just compelling love triangle component to it. I mean, ironically, that's the part that actually probably had the most true to life dick stuff in it. Um, uh, but there was just the dynamic between all three of those characters and the way that Chris and Silver were like kind of, they were on the same team in this weird ultimate way, but also had their own competing interests in this other person. Um, it was just really um, clever and really, it was a very unusual, it was a, it was a really specific and unique take on a very classic formula, you know, which is the love triangle. Right, which that, they, they point out. Yeah, of course, right, because they can't not mm-hmm. comment on the intertextuality of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, also the, the funniest part of the book, yeah, I think, yeah. when the three of them are... That's probably true, yeah. There, there were points of this book where I felt like I was reading, like, a an, sort of the American Gen X version of, of Umberto Eco or something where everything just like folds in on itself. And, and then is, Umberto Echo is mentioned in I know, it at I the know, end. I know, oh my God. I know, I had written that down about Echo before his before he was actually mentioned in the book, which mm-hmm. cracked me up. Um, but I mean, it's even published by an imprint called Semiotext, which is a real publishing imprint run by Silver and I think also Chris Krause is involved in it, which just makes the whole thing even more like incestuous folding and yeah. and and it yeah it's it reminded me of of Foucault's pendulum or something where the characters are creating their own literary reality that is essentially swallowing them whole except instead of the the version of it that is marinating in hundreds of years of kind of religious and medieval authority and studies and esoterica it's the version that's marinating in like 1980s and 1990s um contemporary art and feminism and sort of Gen X irony and, and all that. And it was, it was sort of just a funny parallel that I, in my brain, uh, I kind of appreciated that, that, con- that how much I had to constantly try and figure out what, what the hell I'm reading in the, in the larger sense. So, yeah. How about you? Um, God, I, the section that I want to talk about is kind of, like it, the exact opposite of the part that you like the best in that I really enjoyed um, all the scenes where she's driving cross country alone. So she drives from California to upstate mm-hmm. New York by herself. And it is just, um, I found it in fact hard to read at times because it is so um, depressing and weighty feeling. It's it. She really, so there are parts of this book that are just so beautifully written. Mm-hmm. Um, again, when she kind of gets away from just this like dick crush that she has, right? right? right. And she's um, in those scenes where she's driving cross country. She she really gets at the mood um, of what that is like um, to just be driving in these big expanses and you're not seeing people for hours and hours and you're kind of just on on your own and, and dealing with your you're just fully in your brain but there's something specific about being in your brain and, and also like traveling 
somewhere. Um, and I just like that really triggered those emotions for me as mm-hmm. as I was reading her experience them and, and to the point where like it was making me feel like I was going through the same thing. Um, and like those moments really stood out to me as like, okay, here's Chris Krause, the writer really excelling at something um, and kind of getting beyond the like goofy farce of. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fair. And I, it's probably worth pointing out that I, from, from my perspective, that the part of the book that I enjoyed reading most, which was probably the first third of it for me, is not necessarily the part that I thought was the greatest literary achievement of the book. I just had, I was, I just had such a hard time getting through the later stages of the book, but not because I don't think they were more, not because I don't think they were more laudable. Mm -hmm. I just, for some reason, maybe part of it was just that I was getting pulled into myself to that degree. But, but uh, yeah, I had, I had a tough time, but it, but I suspect if I. Third of the book is kind of a slog. Yeah. But I suspect if I, as with you, if I went back in a few years, I could probably sort of already knowing what I was getting into just on a formal level, I could probably um, just let that sort of emotional landscape wash over me in a more effective way. Did you enjoy reading this book in public? Did anyone look at you funny? I don't think so. I mean, I read it on the subway, um, you know, a lot. I don't think I got any looks. I mean, we're, you know, we're probably in a, pretty like we're, we're, we we live in san francisco so it's we're it's not as though um you probably have to be reading something pretty weird to get a lot of looks that's another thing about this book that feels so quaint now um where i mean the the title is just so obvious Assertive. right <laughs> like she yeah. must have been so pleased that his yeah. name is actually dick right yeah, yeah. um and so there, there is this kind of like subversiveness uh, with with the title and 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 being out in public and mm-hmm. like I I remember one um, woman who read this book saying that anytime she was reading it in public she she uh, really wanted to tell people around her that like the man's name is Dick right. it's not um, <laughs> yeah. as I was thinking about that but then um, like, again the thing that feels so quaint about it is just that. It's it's actually not as shocking today. Um, well, yeah. Although there is a difference between, it's certainly not shocking unto well, itself, except when you, except when you print it on a three hundred page novel. Sure. And then you know what I mean. Like so, then it does have a different. It does feel different. But the the thing that's okay. So you know this this book I love Dick right is the title. Um, uh, this other book that came out I think last year or two years ago, A Little Life. Mm-hmm. Um. Its book cover is is this man um, who it at, at first glance it looks like he's he's sobbing, mm-hmm. um, but then he, it's actually uh, part of this photo series that was taken in San Francisco of um, men in orga- having orgasms. Mm-hmm. So the the book cover is actually this this guy like right. in, in the middle of pleasure, right, yeah. and yeah. and it's just like. Once you know what it is and and you see it, you can't help but like see this incredibly 
personal and intimate moment mm-hmm. that you just like have on this book that you're carrying around with you. And it's like, to me, if we're at, at the point where like, that's what's on book covers, this like kind of humorous, oh, I love Dick, you know, that's just, wow, that is 20 years ago, that would have felt. Sure, although I love Dick is a lot more in your face than the, f- like, if you look at the cover of A Little Life, it doesn't, you don't necessarily know what you're looking yeah, at. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so no, no weird. No, no, no cat calls or anything. <laughs> well, because the article you're mentioning, I mean, I know the article you're talking about, the woman who was talking about it, because she said men on the subway would yell to her, like, glad to know what you like, or whatever. <laughs> so, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, read that, I read the same article, obviously. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so we both liked it. Yeah. We'd recommend it. Um, it's, a, I would say, probably for some people, including myself, it was a bit of a challenging read, but I'm glad I, I did it. Um, yeah. Cool. And so next month we are reading The Sellout by Paul Beatty. This is a book you just read. You read within the last couple months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have not yet, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, and it won the Man Booker Prize, the first time an American has won that prize because it was only just recently opened up to non-Commonwealth authors. Yeah. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And you said it was a funny yeah, read. Yeah, it's, it's a satire. Yeah. It is set in a neighborhood of Los Angeles where the main character, who is a, a black man, reintroduces segregation and slavery. So, you know, classically Sounds hilarious, hilarious. Yeah. topics, right? Um, so it, it is a novel that is about race relations in modern America, but but coming from this, this very um, comical angle um so this isn't going to make us all no. given our current national moment this right. isn't going to destroy and, everyone here uh, i think because of our current national moment it is more even more important to read uh fiction that is dealing with these topics but no it is it is not um a depressing read by any means even though it is obviously a very weighty sure. subject nor does it um i i want to say that it, it doesn't deal with these topics in in it doesn't treat them as insignificant. It gives right. them the due that they deserve. Um, it's just the the tone mm-hmm. is, um, it will not be challenging to read. Okay. So. so that's The Sellout by Paul Beatty, which will be coming in December. Well, our episode will be coming in December. And that, that is out in paperback now. Correct. So all set there. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can send us email at books at idlethumbs.net. You can find us on Twitter at idlebookclub. And we will be back on this RSS feed in about four weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye. I was trying to do the Zodiac voice. No, it's not the Zodiac voice. What's the Zodiac? Goodbye.